Joshua? Oh, good, that's good. I thought there might be some tears if it... So it must have been okay. Yay, finally, we're done. I actually... He's gone to be with Jesus now, so I can say this. The guy that I followed on the coast when I pastored there had been in the book of Revelation for a year. And when I got there, the people said, please, preach on something beside Revelation. So, But we were only in Joshua for, what, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 weeks, something like that. Um, the, I'm going to be doing a series over the next few weeks, and, and I don't might be interrupted. Um, you know, our youngest daughter, Amy, in uh, Vancouver, Washington, is pregnant and due later this month, and... So we're waiting for the call so we can jump in the car and travel across beautiful southern Wyoming and and uh, go be with them after the baby comes. So we'll see how this it might get broken up. But the, 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 the title is Things We Keep On Doing. Things We Keep On Doing. And I'm thinking, that, thinking of that in the context of the fact that we are now waiting for God to do something in our midst, are we not? So while we're waiting on God to do that something or those some things, there are things that we just need to keep on doing. You know, you don't throw it in neutral or put it in park. There are things we need to keep on doing. And today we're going to focus on we pray. We pray. Um, Gail read for us a passage from Acts chapter 4 uh, this morning about uh, an issue that arose in the church and the people came together and they prayed about it and some pretty incredible things happened as a result of that. Someone has said the church is only as effective as its prayer life. And um, I, I want to share um, some quotes and uh, well, there's a few of them. From uh, Jim Cimbala, uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York City. Um, that is a church that um, their focus is on prayer. I remember him saying, uh, as I heard him speak one time, I think their prayer meetings are on Tuesday night, and it's like, um, you know, there might be other things we cancel or shift around or move, or, but he said, that thing is absolutely vital. We do not mess with our prayer meetings. We've got to have them. It's the life of the church. So here's some quotes from Jim Cimbala. First of all, does the Bible ever say anywhere from Genesis to Revelation, my house shall be called a house of preaching? Does it ever say, my house shall be called a house of music? Of course not. The Bible does say, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Preaching. Music, the reading of the Word, these things are fine. I believe in them and practice all of them. But they must never override prayer as the defining mark of God's dwelling. The honest truth is that I have seen God do more in people's lives during ten minutes of real prayer than in ten of my sermons. And all the people said... So I'm going to quit preaching. I'm just going to... No. Second quote. I have talked with pastor after pastor, some of them prominent and successful, who have told me privately, Jim, the truth is, I couldn't have a real prayer meeting in my church. 
I'd be embarrassed at the smallness of the crowd. Unless somebody's teaching or singing or doing some kind of presentation, people just won't come. What does it say about our churches today that God birthed the church in a prayer meeting and prayer meetings today are almost extinct? The next one. Am I the only one who gets embarrassed when religious leaders in America talk about having prayer in public schools? We don't even have that much prayer in many churches. Out of humility, you would think that we would keep quiet on that particular subject until we practice what we preach in our own congregations. And then he quotes here, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great British pulpiteer, had said in a sermon almost exactly a hundred years before, the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a grace-ometer. And from it, we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. Then, um, when, when we were pastoring on the coast, I went to a little town called Jefferson, Oregon. How many of you have been to Jefferson? I, I should have known, Bob. Um, a little town in Jefferson that has this really big Baptist church. I think Jefferson might be 700 people or like that, something like that. And the church, uh, the Baptist church in Jefferson, I think, runs about two or 3,000. How did they do that? Well, this pastor's emphasis for his church is on prayer. And, and um, I went back through that notebook that we got when I went through this seminar he did. It's called the Great Commandment Seminar. One of the, one of the um, areas that he spoke on, he called the problem of an, an, of an answered prayer, the dirty dozen. And he had 12 things that can, can um, cause God to can interfere with answered prayer. Let's put it that way. And this is number 10 in the list. Now, this is speaking to individuals who are saying, why isn't God answering my prayers? Number 10, you are not putting enough emphasis in your life on corporate prayer. And then he cites these scripture references. Matthew 18, 19, and 20. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Then he cites 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. And he's talking to the Corinthian church. He says, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in the answer, in answer to the prayers of many. So he's talking to the church and about them praying as a church for himself, Paul, and uh, his missionary work. Then in Acts chapter 12, verses 5 and 12, you remember Peter was, was, uh, always getting in trouble for talking about Jesus and healing people and doing crazy stuff like that. So he was out there doing those kinds of things again and they threw him in prison. And, and um, verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Verse 12 says, Now he's been let out and for a while it takes him to realize that he takes him a bit to realize, I'm free. I'm out. 
He thought he was dreaming. So when he realizes he's out, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Now, there's, some, there's a humorous aspect to this story. At least I think it's humorous. Um, he goes to the, to the gate that would allow you into the compound and uh, knocks on the gate and the young lady answers and, Oh, it's Peter. She runs in to tell everybody and it's like, Oh, that can't be him. We're praying that he'll get out of prison. Uh, maybe I don't. Was that didn't they did they not really believe God would get Peter out, or were they just thinking God doesn't answer prayer this soon? I don't know, but I just kind of thought that was humorous that they left him standing at the gate because they just didn't think he could possibly be out of prison. We're praying about that. So this passage of scripture that Gail read this morning is about the church coming together to pray. We're talking about corporate prayer now. This is not an attempt by any means to diminish or discourage individual prayer. Please, keep praying at home or at work or in your car or wherever you pray, alright? But there is um, something about corporate prayer, about coming together in unity, in agreement, and just the sheer numbers that makes corporate prayer a powerful and effective thing. And uh, here's our thing, um, Chad. If prayers were arrows, um, here's how I see individual prayer. If prayers were arrows. No doubt a single arrow can hit the target and do damage, right? Okay? Here's how I see corporate prayer. I don't know if you can tell that. That's a barrage of arrows, folks. Have you ever seen one of those... Movies about the days of the nights or one of those things and the enemy's coming and all the archers are lined up maybe on the walls and floor deep and it's like everybody, poo! They all fire at the same. There's this huge barrage of arrows. That, how do you dodge that? And the enemy's just toom, 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 falling. That's how I see corporate prayer. With that many arrows in the air, something's got to happen. Doesn't it? If you're the enemy, which would cause you the most concern? The single arrow or the barrage of arrows? So, I think today's text is an example of the powerful things that can happen as a result of the church praying together. It's like this. That's what was happening in Acts chapter 4. They were firing off a barrage. Well, first of all, to understand what precipitated this prayer meeting in today's text, we kind of have to go back to chapter 3. Peter and John are going to the temple at the time of prayer. And on their way, they encounter a man. He's been crippled from birth. And he's at one of the temple gates, and he's begging. And as they pass this man, he asks them for money. That was the only way someone in that situation could hope to even support themselves. And so that was not uncommon to leave someone who was disabled, crippled, diseased, wasn't able to work and support themselves. You left them at a place where people would pass by so they could beg for money. But so Peter and John are walking into uh, the temple and this guy asked them for money. But honestly, I think he was wasting his breath because these guys, they weren't rich. In fact, if they had money in their pockets at all, it would have been a good day for them. 
But rather than ignoring the man, Peter and John stop and Peter tells the man, look at us. Because he's asking, you know, he's asked for money, but he's kind of watching the other people come by too. He doesn't want to miss a chance. And so Peter says, look at us. And then Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Excuse me? So he helps the man to his feet. He is healed. And in his excitement, he walks into the temple jumping and praising God. He's creating a ruckus. I thought, I, I remember, Dan, when you told us your healing story, you kind of were doing this thing, thing, you know. Listen, when you've not been able to do something, you can because God's touched you. It's kind of exciting to be able to do that now, isn't it? So this guy's walking in there and he's, I mean, he's been crippled from birth. Wow, this is a brand new experience for him. And let me tell you, he's probably really glad that they just didn't hand him a shekel or something. But they did something in his life that changed him for the rest of his life. Well, this little scene of this guy jumping up and down and praising God attracts a large crowd that gathers around uh, Peter and John. And, you know, Peter's, by this time, you know, Pentecost has happened. He's a preacher at heart now, and he sees an opportunity here. So he preaches to them about Jesus and his power by faith to heal. And as you might expect, the religious establishment does not like credit being given to this Jesus guy. I mean, he's the one they killed not too long ago. We're still having to deal with him. So, hundreds had already believed in Jesus, and hundreds more were now ready to turn to this new faith that threatened their, the religious leader's, power and position. So, to deal with this problem concerning Jesus... The, the religious leaders had Peter and John arrested and jailed. And the next day they were brought to a hearing where they were told, never again talk about this Jesus guy. And their answer? We can't help but talk about him. Because we've seen and heard, we've experienced these things. It's like it just bubbles out of us. Well, once Peter and John were free, they gathered with the rest of Jesus' followers and told them what had happened. And it was immediately decided that the best way to protest the treatment and threats that Peter and John had received was to boycott the temple and start a letter-writing campaign. No? Oh. No, what they did was have a prayer meeting. The results of which were phenomenal. This gathering then, I think, is a model for corporate prayer. It shows the church can pray so that God helps break through the circumstances and challenges we face in accomplishing our mission and fulfilling our vision. Do you have a vision of what we should look like in the future? I hope so. So if we want to experience supernatural breakthrough like they did on this occasion, then there's some things we need to know when we pray. And the first is this. Know who you are asking. Know who you are asking. How big is God to us? How powerful is He? Do we believe, truly believe that nothing is impossible for God? Do we believe He wants to do good things for us, His people? 
See, what we believe about God determines the expectations of our prayers. If we believe in a small God, we tend to pray small prayers. I remember when, um, I, I think it was when we uh, burned our mortgage and our DS came in and he talked about dreaming big dreams. And sometimes we're kind of hesitant to do that. Oh, I don't know if that could really happen. You know, um, Bernice, I'm going to pick on you because I talk to her all the time because she's out in the office and tells me what to do a lot. So, um, I remember before they tore it down, she was praying that someday we would be able to move into the Walmart building that had, was now vacated just off over there. Some people would say, oh, come on. I love that about Bernice. That's a big dream. So, if we believe in a small God, we will pray small prayers. How, how, what's our view of God? How big is He to us? Listen to, listen to how these New Testament believers started their prayer. Sovereign Lord, boss man, in charge guy. Ruler of all things, okay? Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, I know we learned that in Sunday school. God made the flowers. God made the trees. God made the animals. And God made me. You remember that kind of stuff in Sunday school? But, think about the scope of what they're saying here. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. If we just talk about the heavens, it's, it's almost unbelievable. Because we're tr- still trying to figure out how much stuff is out there and how far it goes. Um, we're, you know, amazing. And they're saying, God, you did all that. You made everything that exists. You know, um, do you remember back in the Old Testament, um, King Sennacherib from Assyria has come to attack Jerusalem. Hezekiah is king at this point. And, you know, he makes his threats and he talks about the fact, listen, none of the other gods of any of the other nations have been able to stand against us. We are undefeated. All right? And listen, your gods are not going to be able to protect you either. So just give up. And we'll treat you well, maybe. And so Hezekiah goes, and it says he, he goes to the temple, and he, they, they gave him a list, a list of demands or threats or whatever they were asking for, and he just lays it before the Lord. And this is how he starts his prayer. This is in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 15. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God. So, you know, all these other ones that Sennacherib has said he's defeated, those aren't really gods at all. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth, but let's expand it a little. You made heaven and earth. Boy, that's pretty powerful. I mean, I don't know anybody who can make heaven and earth, except God, right? That's pretty powerful. You, you remember the story about the scientists who came to God and said, you know, we're so far advanced now that we can create anything you can create. 
And he challenged God to a contest, a creating contest. And God says, okay, you first. And the guy bent down and picked up a handful of dirt. And God said, uh-uh, make your own dirt. God is powerful and because these first followers of Jesus knew their God was creator of the universe the sustainer of the world and the savior of their souls they believed he could easily handle their situation we would say small potatoes but they also believed God's not only powerful, they believed he's good. Listen to this promise, Matthew 7, verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And they were asking. And because God is powerful and good, he then can cause all things to work together for our good. What a great encouragement to their faith and to ours. The next thing you need to know is you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. Some of us have an identity crisis as Christians. We're not sure who we are. A a rabbi, when asked what is the biggest sin a person can commit, answered this. To forget that he is a prince, a child of God, the king. Now, we may not agree that that's a sin, but it can be a hindrance if we forget who we are in Christ. The Bible says of every believer, you have received the spirit of sonship. We need to remember that when we come to God in prayer. It says we are children of God. We need to remember that when we come to God in prayer. It says we are heirs and co-heirs with Jesus. We need to remember that when we come to God in prayer. We can call God the King, knowing that as His children, all the resources of heaven are available to us. And in 1 Peter, Peter tells us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. And I would say God takes care of His stuff, doesn't He? We have access to God when we pray. Because we belong to Him, He cares for us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, it says, We are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. And in John chapter 3, verse 35, and John chapter 5, verse 20, we are told that the Father loves the Son. So let's tie that all together. We're the body of Christ. God's Son. God loves His Son. So we can be assured that if the Father loves the Son, we know that He loves the members of His Son's body. Did that all get tied together okay? Okay. Folks, when we come to God in prayer, we need to know who we are. And then, the sticky thing, I think. We need to know what to ask for. (laughs) Because it's pretty easy to ask for all the wrong things. You know, a novice skydiver couldn't get his parachute to open. And as he was hurtling toward earth, he sees another person flying upward. 
And he calls out to the passerby, do you know anything about parachutes? And the guy going upward says, no, do you know anything about gas stoves? (laughs) Sometimes, and maybe often, we have questions about what we should ask God when we pray. And the fallback is this, your will be done. Isn't that the fallback? Because many times we don't know what that will is. And yet we're told in the Scripture that if we ask according to God's will, He hears us. So we want to be on track with His will when we ask, don't we? If we want answers to prayer, we need to ask for things that are in line with God's will. And what's the key? God's Word reveals God's will. That means that when we pray according to God's Word, we pray according to God's will, and He can be expected to answer. See, breakthroughs come when we pray in agreement with God's Word. God, this is what Your Word says, and I pray in agreement with them. Let me give you some little examples here. We're praying for salvation. What does the Word say about that? The Word says, The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. And if we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. So we pray for people in that way. Lord, convict them of sin and judgment and righteousness. And and we pray that as your Holy Spirit works in their life, they will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I think that's the kind of prayer God wants to answer because that's what it says in His Word He wants to happen. He says He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What about broken relationships? The Word says God through Christ will reconcile all things to Himself by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. That's a promise we can cling to. That's your promise. You have said you will reconcile all things to yourself. And if things are reconciled to God, then things will be reconciled to each other. We can pray that in our prayers. Spiritual attack. What do we do? Well, the Word says you put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to resist the devil. So, Lord God, I've gone through that process. Maybe you have too. I've just... Verbally repeating to God the, the, the pieces of armor that, that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. And then it says, humble yourself before God. That's, by the way, when we put on the whole armor of God, it's God's armor. That's part of the humility thing. It's not what I can do, it's what God does. Humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And listen, if you're, if you're equipped with the whole armor, you can. Humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and the promise is, he'll run. So, if we know how to ask according to God's will, how big do we ask? How big do we ask? Well, the scripture says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Now remember, we're praying according to God's will. I'm not thinking, you know, that boat I was wanting is 16 feet, but if God will give us, I'm going to expand the length to twice 
No, that's not what we're talking about. By the way, a boat joke. Because we had a guy in our church when we were pastoring in Eastern Oregon that was trying to sell a boat. And Woody told me one day, you know, the happiest days in a boat owner's life are the day he buys it and the day he sells it. (laughs) So don't pray for a big boat. You'll regret it. Listen, these first Christians in Acts chapter 4, they needed God to come through in a big way. They needed big answers. Sounds like us, doesn't it? We need some big answers. And even though their lives were threatened, they asked for more of what got them in trouble in the first place. What they asked for? Boldness to declare the Word of God. That's what got them in trouble in the first place. And they're saying, Lord God, give us more. Verse 29. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Hmm. See, when the church gathered to pray, they did not merely ask for personal blessings, but they prayed for God to remove the hindrance so that they could reach the world. Anything that would be holding us back, give us boldness so that we won't be held back. That's what they were praying would happen. See, they, they prayed for boldness because they remembered the weight of the commission given them by Jesus to reach the lost. And they prayed, too, for miracle power. They asked for miracle power. Verse 30, they said, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Those kind of things that people will look at and say, Wow, that that must be God. It's 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 that process of convincing them Look at what God did. There is a God. They prayed for the mighty power of God to be revealed in impacting and significant ways in order to convince those they were trying to reach. Send us some miracle power. We need to know what to ask for. And then, finally, we need to to know this. We need to know that God will answer. What happened in response to their prayers? It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. See, the believers of the early church experienced a supernatural breakthrough because they prayed together and they expected God to answer and He did. See, a praying church has the potential to unleash the power of God and open the flood gates of His blessing. The question is, do we believe that if we pray for those things that God will answer? Yes. See, it's not about, well, I hope He will do this or I think He might do this or maybe He'll do this. If, if we... If we believe and we've looked at the scripture and we say we're asking Lord God according to your will, then we need to know 
that God will answer that prayer. We need to know that God will answer that prayer. And listen, it may not look like what we think it looked like. It may not come when we think it should come. I'm already thinking God's a little late on some of the things I've been asking for. Um, Stan Toller, I think I've mentioned this before, wrote a book. He was one of our general superintendents. Wrote a book several years ago entitled, God Has Never Failed Me Yet, But He Scared Me to Death a Few Times. <laughs> you know that because you've been in that place, haven't you? Yeah. Eh, to the last minute and boom, the answer comes through. But we have to know that God will answer. The miraculous answers that came in Acts chapter 4 came to pass because they raised their voices together in prayer. A barrage of arrows. So, bottom line, let's not talk about being a praying church. Let's be a praying church. In your bulletin folder today, there's a little kind of a survey thing that I made up because, you know, we've tried some different meeting times for corporate prayer, and we've had some people respond, but my heart says I'd really like to see more of us be able to participate in those times together. And so I've listed some possible times there when we might be able to, it would work for more people to come together in times of prayer. So if you would, um, you know, if you would fill that out and indicate for me um, when a better time or a good time for you might be to come together to pray as God's people together, um, fill that out. And then, you know, you can leave it on the uh, welcome table out there. You can drop them by the office sometime this week, whatever. You can hand them to me today. Um, whatever works, but we'd really like to do something to get our people together, this church body together, in agreement, sheer numbers. We want to send up a barrage, folks. Because we, I think we understand, we need God to do something powerful among us. We need a breakthrough. Um, as we close this morning, we're going to share together in communion. And um, if I could have those who will be serving us go ahead and come forward and begin.